Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, we're glad you're here with us today. Um, you know, I always like to welcome our first-time guests right off the bat. Uh, and if that's you today, welcome to New City Church, uh, because, well, today we talk about money. Um, so again, welcome. And I say that somewhat jokingly, uh, you know, because I know uh, money is not a popular topic for many. You know, I get it's that awkward conversation that a lot of people uh, don't like to have. Uh, and oftentimes when churches talk about it, it feels even more uncomfortable, kind of like this guilt-driven topic. And I want you to hear immediately today that this is not intended to impose any guilt. This is not so we can increase our budget uh, or raise more money. Uh, Please hear me on this, okay? Today is not about trying to get anything from you, but rather to see what God may have for you. And so if you're not a Christian here today, I think this should intrigue you from the outside looking in because it's uh, one thing to be nice and kind, but it's another thing uh, for people to match up their wallets to their faith. And just for uh, someone who's not a Christian, you know, I think uh, this should be intriguing for you because if what we see today is really happening, like seeing radical and sacrificial generosity, uh, in, in many ways it should show you that these people uh, really believe something that's life-changing. This should be very uh, intriguing, kind of like a peek under a hood to authentic faith. Because it's one thing to give out of your wealth, but it's an entirely different thing to give out of your poverty. And in doing so, uh, doing it joyfully and cheerfully. And in today's passage, Paul is showing a group of people that gave radically out of their poverty and affliction, and they did it in joy. And they were immensely blessed by it, and not because they received anything back in return, but because the act of giving in itself for them was a blessing. In our letter, 2 Corinthians, that we've been going through verse by verse over the past 10 weeks, this topic of generosity is what Paul addresses next in chapters 8 and 9. You know, today we're going to take big steps through these two chapters. We've got a lot of ground to work through today. Uh, So instead of doing two to three sermons uh, in a row on generosity, we're just going to do it all in one big take. And so we're going to dive right in. Um, So if you remember, the Apostle Paul, he wrote this letter uh, seeking reconciliation uh, with the Corinthian church. And this letter, as we've seen, it's an emotional letter uh, uh, that is full of so much rich truth. This letter is personally... It's one of my favorite books of the Bible with so many life verses that have been so transformative for me. And uh, and these two chapters that we're looking at today are a part of that. And not because they warmed my heart, but rather because early on in my walk with the Lord, it poked and it uh, pricked a part of my heart that God seriously needed to change and transform. I mean, simply put, uh, to change how I view money and resources. That's what God needed to change. And I'm sure, just like many of you, I needed constant, I need constant reminders of this in my life because of how easily my perspective of money can just get off track. Just because of the world we live in, you know, it's so easy to want more, to always want more. I mean, advertising companies, they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to get us to spend more money. Let me just think about this. The average working person, uh, most of our days are centered around money. And either how we get it, uh, maybe through work, or how we spend it, or maybe can't spend it on food or clothes or the house that we live in or the cars that we drive. And so today uh, is an opportunity for us to kind of recalibrate and rethink and reorient our hearts the way God uh, intends us to view money. You know, we've been going through this letter uh, in this sermon series titled The Transformed Life, seeing this ongoing theme of how God takes us and changes us 
and makes us new. And now in chapters 8 and 9, Paul takes kind of an aside, uh, giving a separate report, saying, hey, I've got something else to tell y'all. I want you to know about this. And Paul puts his finger on this topic of money in these two chapters, showing another part of our lives that God wants to transform. And God wants to transform every part of our life, uh, not just sections or silos of our life. No, he wants our entire life, which also includes our resources. And I get it. This is a hard thing. Because as soon as we start talking about our pocketbooks, we kind of get a little tense, you know. Uh, we, can, we can lock up a bit. But as we'll see today, another byproduct of a life that has been transformed is a heart that has been unlocked for generosity. Because what Paul knows and what Jesus so often points out is that when we look at our resources and how we spend our money, uh, we get a window into our hearts. And what we know is that a generous heart, a person that is generous with their time, with their talents, uh, and with their treasures, with their financial resources, it's the evidence of a heart that's been transformed by the gospel. And so uh, to start this conversation, we need to have the understanding that God does not want or need our money. Like, he, God made the world, right? He, he has the resources of the world at his fingertips. God does not want or need our money. Rather, God wants our hearts. And what God knows and what Paul knows and what we all intrinsically know is that our, all of our hearts are so easily tied to our money. We know this because, well, tied to our money, we've got financial stability, good food, date nights, vacation, better cars, bigger houses, better clothes, uh, nicer furniture, and uh, fun experiences. And let me just say, these are not all bad or evil things. These are often all good gifts from God. But what we need to wrestle with is how we steward the gifts and the resources that God has given to us. And to keep close watch on how our hearts are often so easily drawn to these things. And maybe even ruled by them. Because as we'll see, God through his word, uh, he regularly and repeatedly shows us how our hearts are connected to our money. You know, some researchers have found uh, that about 60% of Americans spend more money than they make. You know, that alone shows the power that money can have on our life. There's a constant desire to always want more or to think we need more, uh, which is a telling sign where our hearts are just easily drawn to. And what God loves to do is to take our hearts that can easily be uh, greedy or discontent and often wanting more, and he can in turn, he can make us joyfully generous. And the only way to do that is to let God work on our hearts through the gospel. In chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, we see Paul do just that. He addresses uh, the motivations of giving, as well as just a few practical things that we'll look at and work through. Uh, but our, for an overall main idea, we'll see very simply that God's grace is displayed through cheerful giving. Again, it's, it's, it's one thing to give, maybe kind of begrudgingly or out of duty or maybe out of guilt. And it's an entirely different thing to give joyfully and cheerfully. But like we've been doing over the past several weeks, we're gonna, I'm going to kind of walk through this text I'm going to take a couple big sections at a time, and what we don't cover extensively here, uh, we're going to look at uh, in our groups this week. And so let's go in and take a, a dive into what I call <laughs> Paul's commercial break uh, in 2 Corinthians as he shares about the generosity of the church of Macedonia, this, this specific church, this area of a church. Look at chapters 8 and 9, starting in verse 1 and 2. Paul says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. 
So we see here Paul sharing with the Corinthian church about what happened in Macedonia, about how these people were very generous, uh, even enduring hardship, even though uh, they were actually very poor. But something I want to point out here is that uh, Paul uh, immediately correlates the grace of God to their giving. There is evidence that God is working in them because of their generosity. Throughout chapters 8 and 9, these two chapters that we're covering today, Paul references grace eight times. And we'll see as we go through this that their generosity was motivated by God first being generous with them through the gospel. That although they were poor, they were extremely generous, and not just generous, but they were joyfully generous. And he says, this is a grace. And so what we can't miss here is that Paul's teaching on generosity and giving today is a teaching on grace. It's a teaching on grace from start to finish. And those that understand that we have received much grace from God in turn show and give much grace to others. I mean, absolutely. Yes, we, we, can't, we can't miss that this is a teaching on money and generosity, but may we not miss, it is way more than that. Because the type of giving and generosity that Paul references in these chapters, it makes no sense apart from understanding divine grace. You know, whenever some, so, someone does something that seems kind of out of the ordinary, or maybe really extreme, the natural question is just to ask why. Like, what motivated that? And, and as we think about this topic of money, you know, the typical way to motivate people in our world is with money. But this was the exact opposite. They were motivated to give away their money. And in order to be motivated to make big changes like this, you need a big why. And their motivation to give was God's outpouring of grace shown in the gospel. I mean, this is extreme generosity that flows out of extreme grace. And look at what, what he says next, starting in verse 3. It says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, because of earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, in this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Again, Paul is showing how this poor and afflicted, this Macedonian church, they gave until it hurt. They gave what they had according to their means, as he said in verse 3, but then also beyond their means. They stretched themselves. Seeing firsthand how giving has nothing to do with ability or having lots of resources or being well off. No, rather, he's showing that giving is a privilege. Paul said uh, they saw it as a favor. It was a favor for them. That's what they said in verse 4. To be able to take part in providing for relief for those that they gave to. And we're going to dive more into that later. But for now, notice in verse 5, Paul points out an important order that I want us to see. They first gave themselves to Jesus and then they gave themselves to giving. Well, this order is important. We don't give, our, we don't give, first, uh, we, we don't give first and then get God in return, as if God would be more pleased with us because of our gift. No, not at all. That's often kind of referred to as indulgences, maybe, believing that God is more pleased with us because we give, as if our money uh, we put in an offering plate or, uh, or online maybe will pay for our sins. Let's just clear the air and rebuke that and make sure we know that's flat out wrong. That just a way, that's just a way to, to guilt people into giving money. The only way we can be approved by God is through Jesus Christ alone. 
Right? No generous financial gift will ever be enough to win God's approval. Only by believing in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ will we ever be approved and forgiven by God. Giving to, win, giving to win God's approval is the absolute wrong motivation because if we believe in Jesus, we're already fully loved and approved by God. We give out of God's approval, not for God's approval. We give because God first gave to us. That's it. That's what drives us. Again, we do not give to win God's approval, which again is why Paul said they first gave themselves to Jesus. And then... Out of that, they then gave their resources. And then, in verses 6 and 7, we see Paul uh, point out something about the Corinthian church that is also common for uh, many people in churches today. He said in verse 7, he said, They excelled in faith, uh, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you. Uh, just to say it another way, uh, they, y'all, they, knew their, they knew their Bible, uh, they knew what to say, they loved well, they had great faith and fervor and zeal, but yet they struggled to be generous. And Paul desired for them to experience the grace of giving, that they would excel in that as well. There's a major implication for us uh, to see that I've already said once, and it's that God wants every area of our life, including our resources. And you know what Paul is pointing out here? He's showing that Christian maturity and generosity go hand in hand. Point blank. Like you can't be a mature Christian and not be a generous Christian. If we look at that list that Paul uh, mentioned for the Corinthian church of faith and knowledge and speech and love and earnestness, we would often today in the church world equate excelling in those uh, with maturity. But then Paul comes back and adds generosity to the list. As Pastor Kent Hughes said about this text, he said, "Uh, there's no way to grow in spiritual maturity without committing your finances to the Lord. And begin, because of how closely tied our hearts are to our money, uh, there's no way Jesus can fully have our hearts if he doesn't also have our wallets. What we need to grasp and realize as followers of Jesus is that 100% of everything is the Lord's. If God is Lord of our life, he is also Lord of our finances. We don't get most and God gets some. No, if God owns us, he owns our resources too. And again... (laughs) It's not because he wants or needs our wallets and resources. No, he wants our hearts, and our hearts are so easily tied to our wallets, which means we submit how we spend and what we spend our money on to God. And what that looks like, point blank, is that we're going to spend a lot less money than the average American in our income bracket. You know, we often think uh, generosity is a resource issue when it's really not. Uh, It's oftentimes a contentment issue. Uh, And please hear me uh, loud and clear on this. I'm not saying any of this to increase our budget or to guilt any of you uh, into giving to our church. None of this, absolutely none of this has anything to do with the New City Church budget. None of it. Nothing at all. It has everything to do with the war that our hearts go through to find contentment in other things other than Jesus Christ. And I say this. (laughs) not to throw stones at any of us, but as someone who is right there wrestling with you. All of us, including myself, have to constantly fight to be content with what we have. I mean, college students, teenagers, or those right out of college, hear me on this. Generosity does not get easier when you get more money. It may actually get harder (laughs) because those numbers you give, they get higher. I mean, listen to me. 
Generosity is a discipleship issue. Excelling in generosity, it is part of maturing as a Christian. Just like God wants to grow us in prayer and in faith and in Bible reading, God wants to grow us in being generous too, with our time, with our talent, and our treasure in all areas. Again, as Paul said, it's an act of grace for you, so don't miss this act of grace in your life. Don't miss this today. Again, generosity is something God wants for you, not from you. Generosity and giving is not some sort of God tax to take from you. That's not what it is. No, generosity is for our good. Being able to live sufficiently and give extravagantly, it is a gift to be sought after. That's what Paul's showing us today. And Paul knew this. Paul wanted the Corinthian church to excel in their generosity, just like they excelled in faith and knowledge and speech. And then look what he says next in, chapters eight, in, in, in verses 8 and 9. Paul says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Paul is saying he doesn't have a command for them to give, in the same way the Macedonians gave, but rather he gives the example of Jesus. By quoting actually one of the more popular verses in the New Testament, I'm going to read it, in it, read it again at the end of verse 9. Though Jesus was rich, yet for our sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This is the gospel. Again, this is our motivation for generosity. Jesus was rich in heaven, sitting next to God the Father, who owned and made all the resources on the planet. God made it all. He holds it all. He owns it all. And yet he looked at us knowing that each of us needed to be rescued because of the poverty that we are in because of our sin. Because our sin makes us bankrupt before God. And because of it, we have nothing to give. We have no worth. Sin, it completely banks us, bankrupts us before God. But yet God, who was rich, saw us as bankrupt before God. And he sent Jesus down to earth to become poor for our sake. He came into our poverty because of our sin. So that Jesus, through Jesus going to the cross and us believing in him, we then become rich. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we go from infinitely bankrupt to eternally rich. This is the grace of God that we do not deserve. And when we grasp that, that what we have in this world, like our bank account or our 401k or our cars or our houses or our stocks or our investments or even our Dogecoins, uh, they don't make us rich. No, rather, it is God through the gospel that makes us rich. And the only way this makes any sense and doesn't seem like a bunch of religious jargon is to truly see and understand the infinite value that we gain through Jesus that makes us rich. Because if we don't understand the riches of Christ, we won't understand how God has made us rich. Jesus became poor so that we may become rich. This is a radical, scandalous grace that in turn fuels us and motivates us to radical and scandalous generosity. And we continually remember what God did for us in the gospel. God regularly unlocks and reorients our hearts towards a proper stewardship of our resources. The poor, this poor and afflicted Macedonian church was not tricked or guilted or feared into giving. No, they were motivated by Jesus to give radically out of their poverty. Jesus was their example of radical generosity. Their giving started with grace and it ended, ended with grace. Brothers and sisters, don't miss this. 
Generosity is not the end goal. It is merely a byproduct of what comes when we know our end goal. Our end goal is worshiping God. And when we worship God and marvel at his riches, we become a generous people because we realize God's ways and God's purposes are infinitely better than our own. Again, we don't look to generosity. We look to the extravagant riches of Christ. And by the, and the byproduct is to become an extravagant, generous people. Not because of guilt, but because God's generosity by his spirit has placed, he's placed this inside of us. If God is making us to be like himself, then we are becoming, whether we like it or not, extravagantly generous. Because the God who sits in heaven is extravagantly generous. Paul makes this very clear. Jesus' generosity for us in the gospel, Jesus' model, is our New Testament model. And that's what spurred on the poor and afflicted Macedonian church to extravagant generosity. And look what Paul says next. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your joy, completing it out of what you have. For the readiness is there. It is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased by you, uh, eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need. And there may be fairness, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever has gathered little had no lack. Apparently the Corinthian church a year earlier, they started to be generous, they desired it, and then they kind of tapered off. And now Paul is urging them to complete it. And something Paul brings up here is worth noting. Paul said in verse 12, For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person does not have. In short, you can't give what you don't have. Uh, And you should not feel bad about that. Again, generosity is a matter of the heart. It's not about a dollar amount or even a percentage. You know, it's often considered the standard in churches to give a tithe, kind of giving 10% of your income But that's an Old Testament idea. That's not really seen in the New Testament. When we see generosity in the New Testament, honestly, it's typically portrayed as way more than that. Uh, But that being said, a tithe, giving 10% of your income, is a good goal for some to work towards. For others, uh, it's a good starting place. But for some, a tithe might not be that generous, honestly. This is what this this means. Just as an example, two different people in two different, completely different stages of life, uh, let's say they both give a $500 gift. To one, that's radically generous. That's very, very generous. To another, uh, it's pretty easy to give, and it really doesn't affect them all that much. One is a huge sacrifice, and the other is not. Again, what we know is that biblical New Testament generosity is not about a, a, a percentage. It's about a sacrifice. It's about worship. To say it a different way, generosity is not measured by the amount we give, by the amount, but, but by the amount we sacrifice. And the reason we know that is because God's greatest display of generosity was shown and measured by his greatest sacrifice in giving his son, Jesus Christ. That's how we know how generous God is. And I'll say this until I'm blue in the face, okay? Again, this has nothing to do with New City Church. I mean this. I really do. I mean this from the bottom of my heart. If you do not want to give to New City Church, that is completely fine. We give generously and extravagantly elsewhere that will impact the kingdom of God. Again, God doesn't want generosity from you. He wants it for you. Because being transformed into the image of God is being transformed to be radically generous. 
Regular and reoccurring giving is an act of grace that helps us to regularly untie our hearts to the world and to then in return retie our hearts back into the things of God. Giving generously and sacrificially reminds us, it reminds us where our hope lies. It reminds us of our, that our security and foundation, it, every time we give, it's an act of worship saying, I don't live for this world, I live for the next world. That said, let's look at the next several verses. Just to see a few practical insights here, uh, specifically for those receiving and managing the gift. Because if you remember, Paul, throughout this letter, he's been trying to show himself to be a trustworthy apostle. He's been defending himself. And here he shows how he puts up safeguards around himself to properly handle this large gift. Look what he says. Uh, This is really helpful for us, starting in verse 16. But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you uh, of his own accord. With him, we are sending the brother who is very famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and the show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should be blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our brother whom we have tested and found earnest in many matters, and who is now more earnest than ever because of this great, his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my, uh, my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as, our, as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of your boasting about you to these men. This section of scripture is very helpful. And it's proved to be a healthy model for churches and those receiving gifts on how to handle money that's received. Because this, the Macedonian church gave a very generous gift. Uh, and not only was it a large gift, but again, they gave out of their poverty. And Paul went above and beyond to make sure he was held accountable to manage and to be trusted with their money. Paul made sure he had several people around him. Because when they received and carried this large gift, I mean, he had Titus with him as we see in uh, verse 16 and 17, as well as another well-known and respected preacher, as seen in verse 18 and 19. And then a third guy uh, that was referenced as an earnest brother, as seen in verses 22. We see here that Paul put a lot of accountability around him, and it wasn't just for him but uh, before the Lord, as he says in verse 21, but also for others around him, that others would also trust him. This is so important and so helpful especially for us as a church. Any church, listen, any church that doesn't have strict accountability in place for their giving and resources is in high risk because of the mere fact that, yes, sin is real. Just to get into the weeds for a second about our church, some of you may not care about this, but let me tell you, you should, especially if you give money to New City Church. From day one, we as a church, New City Church, have had people internally and externally looking over every dollar that goes in and out of our church. We have a third party, uh, we've had a third-party accounting firm that specializes in churches, watching over our books, keeping up with every dollar that comes in and goes out. Uh, we've had them in place before we even had a bank account to put money in. These accountants, y'all, they're great. <laughs> uh, they keep our books in tight order. They provide excellent accountability. And then also, our sending church, some of their pastors and their, and their accounting team, they also have access to all of this, just, uh, just for a second layer of accountability. And they also help with strategic planning and budgeting. And then internally, we have safeguards as well with folks that have access to our accountant and all of our finances. I mean, just as a small example, 
Every time we receive, we receive an offering here in person, we always have two people count it, sign for it, and report, report it. And they can't be in the same household. And then every time it's deposited, the deposit receipt is verified to the total given. And then there are about four, I mean, there are about four or five people that in this entire process every week just for accountability. And then also our online giving. It makes accounting and, accounting, uh, and accountability extremely simple uh, just and transparent for our accounting team. So all those who give online, thank you. This makes it very simple for us. I mean, just having multiple layers of accountability and having all of these checks and balances, they are so important, especially for our church. And Paul knew this, and he modeled this as an example for us today. And look what Paul says next as we get into chapter 9. He says in verse 1, Now it is superfluous, I love his words, for, for me to write to you about this ministry of the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. What I want to point out in this section is that Paul mentions being ready to give five times. Verse 2, he says, I know your readiness. You've been ready since last year. You were zealous to give. In verse 3, he says, but I'm sending the brothers to make sure you're ready. In verse 4, he says, if we come and you're not ready, we would be humiliated. That's what he said. And so if it, he found it necessary to send them early to arrange everything so that it's ready, so that it would be given as a blessing and not as a coercion or a begrudging gift. And so in essence, Paul was urging them to be ready to give, both spiritually in their heart and also just financially, to have it ready. And so for us today, we need to ask, are we ready? Are we ready to give? Is our heart ready to give? Or is it a begrudging duty? Something that we feel guilted into doing? And if so, I mean, it's just a check engine light for us to inspect. We all, it all happens for many of us, for, for a lot of us. Uh, just, just to dig into is showing uh, how our hearts may be tied more closely to our money than we think. I, I mean, is our hearts in the right place? Is giving seen as a grace and a privilege like Paul says, or is it really hard? And I'm assuming for many of us, it's a mixture of both. Uh, because whenever we sacrifice anything, it's going to be hard. I mean, God sending Jesus to the cross was a hard thing. But it was also an act of grace and a privilege to redeem the world. But then a question uh, to also ask ourselves. Are we actually ready to give extravagantly? Or can we not give extravagantly because of debt or lifestyle choices? Just a few questions to consider. I mean, what do we need to change in our budget to get ready to be an extravagant giver? What sacrifices maybe need to be made? What disciplines need to be established? Uh, what bad habits need to maybe be cut out? Uh, what do you need to adjust so that you are able to live sufficiently and give extravagantly? Listen, I mean, extravagant giving, it doesn't just happen. It takes discipline and hard work. And again, extravagant giving is not for the super wealthy. Extravagant giving, it's a means uh, for every follower of Jesus. Maybe instead of asking, how much do I have to give? Christian maturity may ask, what am I not giving to the kingdom of God and how can I give it? Again, y'all, the motivation for this is not guilt. I'm not trying to guilt anybody into giving anything. This is simply an evidence of grace. God wants generosity for you, not from you. 
Look what Paul says next. He gets straight to the point. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one of you must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Again, there is great blessing in giving. Uh, The blessing is not so we will have more material good or financial gain, but rather the blessing is that we will reap greatly from the harvest of the kingdom. Because when we give extravagantly and cheerfully to the kingdom of God, we'll start to love the kingdom of God more. Matthew 6.21, it says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When you give to something or invest uh, your money or time somewhere, you start to care way more about that. You have a vested interest. I mentioned this earlier. Uh, I bought a few Dogecoin several months ago. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I became more interested in, in Dogecoin and Elon Musk tweeting about the moon. And when you go, I mean, for another example, when you go uh, to a restaurant and spend money to eat, you have a vested interest in that food being good, uh, which is one uh, reason why God wants us to give to kingdom causes. Because God wants, us to give, God wants us to give to his kingdom so you'll have a greater love for his kingdom. God wants you to give to the poor and the orphan so you'll have a greater love for the poor and the orphan. God wants you to give to reaching the lost so you'll have a greater love for the lost. God wants you to give to the church so you'll have a greater love for the church. When we place our treasure extravagantly into the kingdom of God, God grows our hearts for the kingdom of God. Again, God wants generosity for you, not from you. It is a gift to be generous. Because again, God wants to untie our hearts from the world and to tie it further into the kingdom of God. And being generous, it helps with that. It's an act of grace for us. And then Paul continues with his idea. Look what he says, uh, just to finish out chapter 9. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endured forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only Uh, supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Uh, There's so much to draw out here, uh, which is why we're going to look at that section more in our groups this week. But without a doubt... What I want us to see more fully is that, again, generosity is for our benefit. Being a a generous giver is not a God tax, where God demands or commands a percentage of our money. Because remember, God does not need our money. God is already wealthy. God owns the entire world. God is not a beggar. No, God is a giver. It It is by God's nature to generously give to his people. And what I'm not saying when I say that is that, no, God doesn't promise a new car or a bigger house or a pay raise when you give. That's a twisted lie and far from the truth. No, God gives us exactly what we need, and it's often not in financial resources. But I also don't want to say that he doesn't do that because he certainly does. 
But what I want to make sure we understand is that God doesn't want us to give for greed. We do not give so that we will get more. No, that's silly and that's wrong. But yet still, God wants generosity for us because when we give generously, it's for our good. And yes, we do receive back in return. He said in verse 11, you will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way. Yes, there is a benefit to us when we give. He says we're enriched. Again, generosity is for us. Here are a few examples. For one, when we give, uh, it helps with contentment. Uh, let me give you a little insight to an unhappy life. Always want what you don't have. <laughs> you know, there's a common saying that says, uh, the secret to a happy life is not having everything you want, but rather wanting what you have. God's giving us everything we need to be generous in order to give to others. Again, I, I think it's fair to say generosity is often not a resource issue. It's often a contentment issue. And then another example how God wants generosity for us is because it takes our eyes and attention off of ourselves and it puts it onto others and onto God's kingdom. I mean, just think about this, right? Where does most of our paycheck often go? It often gets used on us and for us. It feeds us. It clothes us. It provides shelter and transportation for us. Most of it, most of it is directed to us and for us, which is, again, it's not a bad thing. That's a, it's a good thing. It's a good gift. Uh, it's, it's God's gift to us to be stewarded and used uh, for his glory. Money is not evil. It is a gift. But again, when we give generously to others and to God's kingdom, it takes our attention off of us and back into others and back into God's kingdom. I mean, it's a very tangible and reoccurring thing in our life that helps us to loosen our grip off of our own little kingdoms, and it places our stakes back into God's kingdom. Because again, where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. And also, a way God gives back to us. When we we give, it produces thankfulness. It gives, it gives God glory. It's an act of worship, and it shows that this world is not our home. A generous heart is often also a very thankful heart because it's really hard to be generous if you're not thankful for how God has provided for you already. Now, I, I cannot say this enough. I'm going to say this over and over again. This has nothing to do with New City Church. If you do not want to give here, give generously somewhere else. I so mean this because God wants this for you as a means of grace in your life. God wants us to give until it hurts so that we will be dependent on him and not dependent on our bank account. I mean, just like fasting for the Christian life, it spurs on a spiritual fervor and a zeal and a dependency. And so does radical generosity. I want to close with this. There's so much to say about this topic as we've, you know, we've covered a lot of ground today. But I want to kind of circle back around to the primary motivation for all of this, because being motivated by guilt, y'all, it is not right. And being motivated by greed is also not right. We must remember We're motivated by the gospel, and that's it. Our generosity reflects the generosity of God. Again, if the Holy Spirit is working in us to transform us to be like Jesus, we will become extravagantly generous like Jesus. There's so many applications today. I mean, we could, we could walk away with, like maybe starting to give or working to grow in your giving or making strides in order to be ready to give, like fighting to get out of debt or making lifestyle changes or fighting to be thankful for what we have and growing in contentment and thankfulness. 
mean, all these are good things, and, and we should work to, and strive towards these things. But what is way more important than all of that is that we first look to the riches of Christ that we've been given. We've been given so many uh, riches in Jesus Christ. And we look at how rich Jesus is and marvel at the generosity of God that he is making us to be like. And we're, we're in awe of Jesus and his generosity, and we see how God is transforming us to be like him. All those other things, they quickly follow. God is transforming us and desiring to transform us to be like himself, which is radically generous. We start to quickly realize, as our main idea suggests, that it is God's grace that is displayed through cheerful giving. Let's pray. God, it is an incredible privilege to see how you have modeled a generous heart for us, how you daily and regularly give to us. And Father, you are changing us and you're transforming us and you're wanting us to be made into your image and being made into the image of God is being extravagantly generous. Father, we love you and we need you and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.